Hello and welcome to Perhaps It's You, an unofficial fan rewatch podcast of the classic television series Unsolved Mysteries. If you're following along, we're on season one, episode five of the Amazon Prime original Robert Stacks episodes. I'm Samantha and I'm here with my co-host Liz. How's it going, Liz? Good. How are you, Samantha? I'm good. I have some updates for you. Wow. Right off the bat. What are they? <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a long episode, so we should oh, let's get the updates boy, out of howdy. the way. Yeah, let's just dive right in. And updates. get started. First update. Perhaps I haven't always given our dear listeners the correct email address. Yeah, so <laughs> I think I, I'm not going to admit either way. Look, we all knew it was just sooner or later until I screwed something up, and it turned out it was sooner. I think I wasn't able to get perhaps it's you at gmail.com. So our email address is perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. We asked people to email us ghost stories, and we used, used the wrong email address. So, so whoever has perhaps it's you at gmail. Sorry. I mean, you're welcome for yeah, all actually. the cool ghost stories you've been getting. But if you've sent us a ghost story Please and, you, resend it. and you didn't get any acknowledgement from us, that, that means we didn't get it. If you're not following us on Facebook, you might be like, what the fuck are they talking about? We are going to do a Halloween special. And part of that is we want to tell your ghost stories. We've gotten a couple already that are pretty awesome, yeah, but we'd we like some, some more. Ones. So if you've had a, a paranormal experience, write in and tell us about it. Something we want to hear it. spooky has happened to you, not something you saw on creepypasta like a real <laughs> life lived haunting or something you can't quite explain we want to hear about it we want to hear about it we also want we want to hear what you would like for our halloween special we're, we're gonna watch something besides unsolved mysteries something halloween themed but also sort of unsolved mysteries adjacent and we haven't quite we're debating determined. a few ideas if you have any suggestions tell us what you open. think we should watch and review for our Halloween special, in addition to telling listener ghost stories. This is a real cool laid-back podcast, so... Yeah. By which I mean highly professional. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but we love Halloween. It's one of our favorite holidays, if not our favorite holiday. So we want to do something special. We found a way, I feel like each of us have found a way, to expand Halloween into an all-year-round lifestyle. Absolutely. But we should celebrate the mother holiday mm -hmm. and give... For her due yep. with a special. So let us know what you'd like to hear. I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be extra loopy this episode. I'm going to just apologize ahead of time. Because you had a big day yesterday. I had a tiring day at Twin Cities Zine Fest. It was a lot of fun, but dear Lord. Exhausting. Exhausting. You really have to be like on it when you're at a booth like that selling yourself. So that's I, a lot of extrovert time for me. I'm actually surprised you're not like sleeping right, right I now. I know. So I woke up feeling hungover despite having not had any booze, but probably not <laughs> having had enough water. Yeah. So that might be part of it. Though we did get free LaCroix. Oh, wow. So there's the top secret reason why I was really there. Uh, <laughs> for the free LaCroix. Hush, hush, I was there for the free LaCroix. But I, you know, didn't want to leave the table. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to be extra loopy also. Samantha and I have spent this whole past week basically doing research for you. for this episode. We don't This is a long deep. one, folks. So get ready. Not only am I like punch drunk and just out more out there than usual, this is a bizarro episode. We have a lot to cover. We have a lot to cover. I have one more thing I want to mention, and that is our giveaway that we talked about in our last episode. We're going to extend it because we haven't gotten a ton of entries um, no, we've gotten so many entries, Samantha. <laughs> it's by popular demand that we are extending it. That's what people always say. 
Right. Yeah. Scratch everything I just said. Yeah. People are pounding down our door. We want the dad joke magnets. They said, to okay. get these dad joke magnets. Fine. Actually, no one has entered on Instagram. So if you enter oh our, our giveaway on that's Instagram, a, you're pretty much guaranteed to that's win. That's embarrassing. Follow, yeah. So follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs> we're at Perhaps It's You. Go share. I feel like if you share any of our posts, we're going to enter you to win. Yeah, probably. A dad joke magnet. So go share whatever For you the want. The rules on this the are rules a are loosey-goosey. They're getting more loosey-goosey as we go on. <laughs> but if you win one of these magnets, you are, well, you'll get a private message from us. So go yeah. go follow us and, and enter to win. There's nothing on Twitter because we're both really overwhelmed by Twitter. So I didn't want to try to do a giveaway on Twitter. I, I mean, can barely us. even make myself get on Twitter as it go is. Go follow us on Twitter, but... Liz yeah. runs our Twitter, thank God, because if I did, there would be nothing. <laughs> We've divvied up the tasks. This is a true indie podcast, it right? Really, it is. Like, I'm handling our graphics. Samantha is doing our editing. We've split up the social media. <laughs> it's just us, folks. It really is. And, and our, we're amateurs, so and this is what you get. Highly professional skills. I have a couple other updates. Oh, okay. We heard from listener Rachel... In our last mystery, you commented on an old lady named Dorcas. Yes. That's not a name I had heard before. Nope. Don't want to be too mean about it, but wouldn't want the name Dorcas. Uh, Rachel commented to let us know that Dorcas is a biblical name. It was a real name. That's the correct pronunciation. Thank goodness. Yes. Um, really unfortunate. Rachel knows a Dorcas. <laughs> Yes. And I think I'm I said so sorry, Dorcas. that I empathize with how many dork jokes she was definitely subjected to in high school. What an unfortunate name. I mean, at one point, that was probably a really pretty name, but yeah, guys, guys don't name your kids Dorcas. I mean, I think that would go without it's saying, just but apparently not. Just for a miserable childhood. And no, if your name I, is Dorcas and you had a great childhood, I'm, I apologize. It just doesn't seem possible, though. <laughs> it just doesn't. Uh, so apologies to Rachel's friend Dorcas. Yeah, I was like, that cannot be... A, not that I have read the whole Bible. I'm not a religious person, but I was like, I don't remember the name. I don't Dorcas. remember the character Dorcas. Apparently that is the Greek translation of Tabitha. If you oh. remember Tabitha from the Bible. So if your name is Tabitha, it's actually Dorcas. <laughs> yep. So we also apologize to all the Tabithas. We apologize to all of the Tabithas. I would just go by Dory if I was I'd be like, yeah. I'm named oh, after a that... Finding Nemo character. Is that where Dory comes from? Dorcas? I'm, I don't know. But if my name was Dorcas, I would go by Dory. Sure. I mean, I would probably just move never talk to my parents again change my name change my name yeah um another update came from megan a friend of mine and our resident librarian she wrote in to let us know you had sent me a a picture of facial hair that doesn't come up till season three Mm -hmm. it's on our instagram page folks go look at it which is an impressive display of facial hair mustache that blends seamlessly (laughs) into mutton chops yet there is no beard i had asked is there a name for that there is Oh, tell me. It's the Chester A. Arthur, <laughs> named after our president, who had the same facial wow, hair. Oh, okay. And I feel like I don't really ever hear anyone talk about President Arthur. Nope. So I guess he just really lives on in facial hair form. That's okay. what we remember. That's a legacy everyone wants. <laughs> yeah. So he's like the real most valuable mustache of all time. because okay. he. Because he was a president and has facial hair named after him. So he's like the ultimate. The ultimate MVM. MVM wow. is Chester maybe Arthur. Go find a picture of him and put on our Instagram page. So you, you could compare, compare him to yeah. 
this Ooh. this guy that's not even coming up until season three that we're already talking about how great his mustache is. It's a really bad segment too. It's like an <laughs> alien, a really dumb like alien crash landing. I think so. Oh, well. But we'll be able to talk about his his facial hair and we'll know what it's called. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Megan. One last update came from Rochelle, who reassured me that yes, I was right. The Queen Mary was twenty years. After the Titanic. Okay. The Titanic came first. We should always fact check with Rochelle before we record. She's our resident history nerd. And there's going to be very few times that I am right about history or boats. That's never going to happen. Ever So I appreciated her taking a moment to say, yes, you were correct. Thank you, Rochelle. I'm never going to be right about any of those things again. So I'm just going to savor this moment where I knew something about a boat. In history. By which I mean a ship. <laughs> so we're saying it wrong. So we're saying it wrong. As we're bragging about getting yes, it right. Because you can put a Par boat for the on course. a ship, but not a ship on a boat. Okay, okay. I I understand that now. Yeah. I will continue to get that wrong. I will continue to get that wrong. At least it makes sense. It's to a me jail now. prison situation. Yep, yep. Boat ship, ship. boat. Yeah. A ship tomato, boat. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. I think that's all of my updates. All right, so should we Get no. into it. Wow, okay. Settle in, folks, because grab your grab a oh LaCroix, grab pop, a LaCroix. pop some popcorn. This is going to be a long one. We went through, I went down several rabbit internet rabbit holes. I watched two History Channel documentaries about my, my first case. I'm assuming you went down several internet rabbit holes yourself. I don't even know what to, I'm like scarred I've lost for life. days <laughs> to this episode. I, I don't even know what year it is right now. I, this week has been a blur. A blur of conspiracy theories and <laughs> going to parts of the internet that I didn't really like <laughs> and don't want to go back to. This is how much Samantha loves you, folks. She watched two History Channel documentaries. They were actually more interesting. Than that. So my first mystery, which you may already have known if you follow us on Instagram, is D.B. Cooper. And I was kind of expecting this to be like an Alcatraz situation where it's like a mystery everyone is super fascinated about except me. Like, <laughs> I, like I really could I could not give less of a shit about Alcatraz. <laughs> so I really thought I was going to feel that way about D.B. Cooper. I don't know why. My fiance Travis insisted that I would find it fascinating. And he was he was not wrong. I actually did find it fascinating. And of my own volition, I went and sought out history documentaries on YouTube and watched the entire thing. I really like the idea of calling a mystery you're not that interested in an Alcatraz situation, <laughs> which most people would be like, oh, that's like you're trying to escape. It's like, no, I just don't give a shit. Like other people think it's interesting and I fall asleep. We're both dreading the Alcatraz episode of Unsolved Mysteries. We might actually have aforementioned our friend Rochelle come on the yes. podcast. Friend she's of the gonna, pod, Rochelle might come on the podcast talk about Alcatraz. She's going to help us because if it's just me and Samantha talking about we're gonna Alcatraz. We're going to be like, and then they got in the water, what, blah, done, okay. <laughs> It'll be the worst <laughs> you podcast will, of all everyone time. Everyone will unsubscribe. Yeah. But don't worry. We've got a plan. We're going to fix it. Yep. But this is not that day. This is not Alcatraz Day. This is D.B. Cooper Day. And I, I'm i actually kind of excited to tell you about all this stuff I researched. But first, I'm going to tell you about how Unsolved Mysteries described the legend of D.B. Cooper. Are you ready? I'm ready. And I'm going to give a little shout out to Ryan because he said this was his oh, favorite yeah. mystery on our Facebook page. On our Facebook giveaway. So we hope that you we're, enjoy this, Ryan. We're dedicating this to Ryan. To Ryan. So Thanksgiving Eve was how they always describe this night, which I think is really cute. 1971 at 2 p.m., a man walks into the Portland airport. And this guy is dressed as like a typical businessman. He's wearing a suit, a tie, a raincoat, loafers. He's carrying what Robert Stack keeps calling an attache case, 
which is a fancy way of saying briefcase. Robert Stack's a little pretentious sometimes. I was like, this must be a, a special thing. So I looked up difference between attache case and a briefcase. And it's the same thing. They have the same definition. It's a suitcase that you put papers in. In my mind, when people say attache case, I'm picturing like a silver briefcase from the movies that's full of money. <laughs> I mean... But I don't think they're... I, they're that's literally, not a, <laughs> it's literally a briefcase. That's not a real definition. That's the definition that my mind has created from watching <laughs> too much TV. Yeah, no, it's a briefcase that if you want to sound fancy, you call it attache case. But he's But carrying... wasn't he wearing all black, Samantha? Well, most businessmen. I mean, suits are black or they're gray. And he happened to be wearing all black. <laughs> I don't know. I, his tie was Unsolved black, too. Unsolved Mysteries acted like this was very mysterious. And I was like, he just looks like a guy going to work. Everyone described him as a normal businessman. I mean, yeah, yeah his tie was black, too. So maybe that's, I don't know, That's how, if you were a secret agent, that's what you'd wear. But he, Would was, you a, know? Because... he was an inconspicuous businessman getting on a flight from Portland to Seattle. And they show him going up to the ticket agent, giving his name as Dan Cooper. D.B. Cooper was completely made up. There was a newspaper that misprinted it as D.B. Cooper, and everyone thought that sounded a lot more exotic than Dan Cooper. Wait, Dan- that's why we refer to him as D.B. Cooper? Yeah. is because of a typo? It was because of a typo in a newspaper. He oh. gave his name as Dan Cooper, and people were like, well, Dan Cooper sounds like my kid's friend's dad, so... <laughs> D.B. Cooper sounds like a... D.B. Cooper. Yeah, like a secret spy agent. Right, so he never gave the name D.B. Cooper. It was a complete accident. But now that's how we know him. Do you think he's alive and pissed that we're calling him by the wrong fake name? No, but we'll get to that later. (laughs) So he... In the reenactment, they show him walking up to the ticket counter, asking if the plane he's about to get on was a 727. I don't really think that actually happened. I think he just knew that this was going to be a 727. But the point here is that the 727 was the only commercial airliner with a staircase that descended from the bottom of the plane, and it could be opened from the passenger cabin in flight. Who designed this airplane? There's no reason on at least a commercial airplane that you need to open any door in the middle of the flight. Yeah, it's really weird. I don't know why any airplane would have that feature. If you know... Let us know. I don't know. It sounds like dumb engineering to me. It doesn't make any sense. Was that so they could jump out? Jump out. What other reason would you need to open an airplane door in the middle of the flight? They want to just throw things away. (laughs) Like, we (laughs) don't want this anymore. And from the past, so this was obviously changed shortly after this incident, but yeah. You don't say. Yeah, so it was important to him that he was on a 727 for reasons we'll talk about later. So as the plane was preparing to take off, he handed a note to flight attendant Florence Schaffner. And the plane took off, and she didn't really look at the note. She assumed he was being a creepy... I'm sure... Flight attendants probably get grossly flirted at all the time. And this is what she assumed he was doing. He was probably (laughs) asking her to go give him a blowjob in the bathroom. Or just, like, giving her her, his number or something. something She was like, I don't care. But he insisted. He kept saying, look at the note, look at the note. So she finally did, and the note said, Miss, I have a bomb in my briefcase. I want you to sit by me. And then when she came over to be like, what the fuck, he opened the briefcase, and inside she described a big battery with a bundle of dynamite sticks and, like, some wires wrapped around it. What they showed in the reenactment looked like every bomb. From every cartoon. From every cartoon. (laughs) Cooper tells her that all he has to do is attach one wire to one gadget, and they'll all be dead. So clearly she was petrified. I like that he, she was like, oh, this guy's a creep. I don't want to read this note. And then his note did literally say like, miss, come sit by me. <laughs> so yeah. Had, all right. Had, it was about a bomb. It but was a little bit flirty. Still a little flirty and creepy. Yeah. Uh, so she went and informed the cockpit about the bomb. His demands were $200,000 in cash 
In Unsolved Mysteries, they said he specifically asked for small bills. I don't think that was true because in the documentaries I watched, it sounded like he didn't ask for that specifically. So they're like, let's give him all 20s and it's going to weigh 30 pounds. Oh, interesting. That's not clear to me, but he did want them in a knapsack. And then he wanted four parachutes, two front packs and two backpacks. He specified that the airplane needs to remain in the air until the money and parachutes were ready at at the Seattle airport. He also specified that the passengers not be told that the plane was being hijacked. This was my favorite part about all of the reenactments in this episode. You could tell that they couldn't afford actors and actresses to fill up the entire plane. They had like eight people yeah. in an empty plane. They were all sitting in the aisle seats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, they don't want to pay extras to just be slightly in the background. Right. But there's ways to film that, I would think, where like you're not showing the whole empty plane. It was really Like, remember that time D.B. Cooper took over an essentially empty plane <laughs> as his hostages? Right. So the FBI asked the airline if they wanted to pay the ransom, and the airline was like, yes, immediately. We're going to pay this ransom. Apparently, victims of extortion have the option to pay it. Law enforcement can't. That's what the FBI agent described. But yeah. if they want to pay it, they are more than welcome to. I mean, I'm sure they don't want to lose their plane and... The bad publicity of well, they that. Don't, yeah, they don't want the plane to blow up. And presumably in real life, the plane was full and <laughs> all those people would have died. Um, so what they did was they got a bank in Seattle to give them all this money. They recorded all the serial numbers and photographed each bill. And when they got to Seattle, Cooper instructed that the airplane land but remain on the runway. They taxied the airplane to like a remote part of the runway. And they kept insisting in Unsolved Mysteries that the passengers were like unfazed by this. That they were like, la-di-da, I guess we just have to sit here for a while. I really don't think that was true. Hmm. Entirely, if I was a passenger, I would be like, what the fuck is going on right now? Yeah, I don't but, know. That seems strange to me. how much do you drink on a plane, Samantha? <laughs> on a 30-minute flight from Portland to Seattle, oh, yeah. I get trashed. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And the listeners knew it, too. <laughs> so they gave them this money. They gave them $200,000, but they gave them all in $20 bills, so it weighed 21 pounds. <laughs> That's actually kind of a funny fuck you. Yeah, and then one of the parachutes they gave him was defective, sort of. The backup chute wouldn't open, so it was, like, stitched together because it was for training, not for actual use. It was unclear to me if they did that on purpose, or I think they did, but I'll get to that later. Um, I would hope they would know which parachutes worked and which were for training. Yeah. I I, would hope that's not an accident. None of them were so defective that the main chute wouldn't open. It was just one of them had the reserve chute stitched together. Um, But anyway, they refueled the plane. He finally allowed the passengers to leave, and then they gave him the money. He insisted that the pilot take off with the door down, and the pilot was like, no. I can't. That's I can't, not a thing. I can't do that. Like the door has to be closed. The DB Cooper apparently finally relented and said, "Okay, you can put the the door up, and now we have to take off and go to Mexico." <laughs> but apparently, the elevation and speed the DB Cooper demanded the pilot fly at would not get them to Mexico. So the pilot gave him the option of, I think, Reno or Vegas. I can't. I might be wrong about that. But DB Cooper chose Reno, and they took off with the door up. And then mid-flight, he told the remaining flight attendant, Florence Schaffner got off and her other like coworker stayed on the yeah. plane. Um, and at some point during the flight, he told her to go up in the cockpit. And as she was going into the cockpit, she turned around to close the curtain and she saw him fastening something around his waist. Then when she was in there, some lights went off that indicated to the pilot that he was trying to operate the door, the below, mm, the below okay. door. 
And then suddenly there was a loss of cabin pressure and he had jumped out. So yep. how far into the flight does he jump out? They estimated the spot where he jumped out. The crew felt that he had jumped somewhere near the tip of Washington State. And they estimated the area where he landed. It was like, it stretched from Lake Merwin to approximately 20 miles north of Portland. And there was a huge search effort for him. They had planes and helicopters. They had apparently 40 FBI agents plus Whoa. all the searchers. Mm -hmm. And they never found him. The flight attendants helped the FBI create a sketch of his face, which is kind of like the famous weaselly looking sure. sketch that people associate with D.B. Cooper. Later in the episode... Florence Schaffner, who they interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries, said that face never really looked like him. And so Unsolved Mysteries had her work with another sketch artist to make a different. Yeah, I, I don't know how legit that was. It's been it had been so long at this point, And she was claiming she remembered his eye color and all of the details yeah. of his face. And that seems I yeah, I don't know that I really buy that. Right. So the mystery is what happened to D.B. Cooper. Did he survive and get away? Because no one's ever found him. Some evidence did surface. Seven years later, November 1978, a hunter discovered a plastic placard from a 727 that had been ripped from the lower stairwell. And it was determined that that came from the plane that D.B. Cooper jumped out of. 15 months after that, a family having a barbecue on the shore of the Columbia River, 20 miles southwest of Cooper's supposed jump point, which should be noted that it was upstream of mm. where he, the estimated right. location that of where he important. might have landed. Um, they dug up $5,080 worth of waterlogged bills. And all of the serial numbers they were able to get off of those bills matched ones from Cooper. So that was some of the money that he had taken with him. Samantha, if you had dug up that money, would you have just kept that money? It was not usable money. Oh. So they didn't show it in Unsolved Mysteries, but they did show it in one of the History Channel documentaries, and it was bits and pieces of money. Like, it was intact, oh. and the rubber band was still holding it together, but it was almost totally disintegrated. Wow, that's disappointing. Yeah, which is probably why they turned it in, because... Because <laughs> if you were just at a barbecue with your family and you found five grand... Great barbecue. Best barbecue Yeah, <laughs> I would go to so many more barbecues <laughs> if I found five grand. Yeah, it wasn't usable money. Wow. Most of them were completely black, and the few that they were able to get, it was kind of a miracle, actually, that they were able to get serial numbers off of these. Gotcha, gotcha. It was suspected that someone had seen a large white object floating in Lake Merwin, but they never found any parachute or any evidence. That was actually the, the Loch Ness Monster. It could have been. It yeah, was the not. Lake, the Lake Merwin Monster. The Lake when They did see a large white object unconnected to D.B. Cooper. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> it's a whole other mystery. About a giant jellyfish-like creature. This FBI agent they interviewed made a lot of speculations about him getting injured and crawling to a creek to drink water. I don't know how he could possibly have known that that, <gasps> that is what would have happened. That First of all, the reenactment of the guy crawling to a creek to drink water and then instantly dying was hilarious. <laughs> That's a great reenactment. This FBI agent speculating about D.B. Cooper seemed to be a little bit in love with D.B. Cooper. A little bit. You know what I mean? He they, seemed to like have this sort of 
admiration, this childlike wonder, like, I bet he did this. Yeah. He was the Bear grills of his time, and he <laughs> oh, was out much. in the wilderness. We don't know what was in his pocket. Oh, yeah, yeah. What if he had a lighter? He could have survived for a hundred years. I wrote down the quote he said. He said, as long as a man's got a knife, a cigarette lighter, and the clothes on his back, he could have lived indefinitely out there. That's not true. Indef- How do you get food? How do you shelter? You can't live indefinitely in the woods wearing nothing but a suit and loafers and a cigarette lighter. What he didn't mention was that he knew that D.B. Cooper was a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he can live indefinitely. He was actually a half crocodile. He just he sunned himself during the day, and then at night he was ready to go. I don't know. I would be way more interested in this case if we found out that someone believed that he was a lizard person. Which someone you know somewhere You does. didn't go deep enough into the internet to find the reptilian D.B. Cooper theories. Yeah. I'm sure they're out there. Which, if someone in your family believes that the government is controlled by reptile people, is there a way for you to get in touch with us about that? <laughs> I keep... This is a total sidetrack, and I'm sorry, but... I keep hearing about, oh, how people believe that lizard people are really controlling the government. And I just, yeah, yeah. I need to know more. Like, why? How? You haven't gone deep enough on Reddit. I can't tell when people are joking. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. I that just is keep, the problem with I just keep being, I keep going, like, this can't be real. So if your, you know, great aunt Dorcas uh, <laughs> believes that In- Barack Obama is really a reptilian, could you email us? Please do that. And perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> anyway, sorry. D.B. Cooper was probably not a reptilian, though we don't know for sure because we never found his body. We, we can't know any of this for sure. But skeptics say that... So here's the thing with this mystery and a lot of mysteries is when there's a piece of evidence, there's people that say it's proof he's alive. And then there's people that say it's proof he's dead. So it's not really proof of anything. There's, well, yeah, there's no proof of anything. One guy, they interviewed who was a believer that he had made it out said literally they found five thousand dollars they didn't find two hundred thousand dollars so i'm convinced he's alive just because you haven't found it doesn't mean it's not there <laughs> so that's a case of people who say you know they look at this and you're like well this five thousand dollars also none of these bills ever turned up in circulation yeah that's actually a much bigger clue and the fact that they found five grand on a sandbar Mostly burnt. Most people say, well, that's probably evidence that he's dead. But then believers and conspiracy theorists say, well, where's the rest of the money? That just means it hasn't found. Or these bills were so da- badly damaged that the rest of them weren't recognizable. Right. Or they're just in the woods. Or beavers ate them. I don't know. <laughs> this wasn't the only skyjacking we have found out. This was kind of common. This in- was the glory age of skyjacking. If we you- found a book about that. <laughs> Who calls it the glory days of skyjacking? Uh, unless you're a hijackers. skyjacker. <laughs> hijackers do Samantha, and they miss those days. And they look back on them, and they say, I really wish big government wasn't keeping us from all the skyjacking we used to do. Because this was It the, was so much fun. These were the days when you could get on a domestic flight, and you just walked on. You, you didn't just have to show on. any you show identification. Any Anyone could buy a ticket. You could give your plane ticket to someone else, which seems crazy now. Like, if I bought a plane ticket to go to Long Beach to see the Queen Mary, and then I was like, eh, I don't want to go. I could just hand it to Samantha. She could just cross out my name and write her name. <laughs> I could cross out your name and write Dan Cooper. Or write Dan Cooper, and they'd or be like, like you don't right, look like a Dan. Why don't you go on this plane and smoke the whole time in this tiny, <laughs> in this tiny room? Because... 
yeah, even when I was a kid, people would smoke on That's the other thing. Flights. They said there was someone, I can't remember if it was an Unsolved Mysteries or one of the documents, it's all blurring together. But one person was like, it's not like he smoked that many cigarettes. He only smoked an entire pack. <laughs> I'm a 30 minute plane. He didn't smoke that many. Well, that's actually kind of come up and they, with my mystery they as pointed well. To How that many as cigarettes can you smoke in a period of time? <laughs> Um, that's evidence too, Samantha. They pointed to that as evidence that he was a professional because he was so cool and collected that he only smoked one pack of cigarettes in 30 minutes. 30 minutes. I don't know if that's evidence. I don't know. Anyway, that's evidence of nothing except how much someone else likes to smoke. Yeah. Um, anyway, five months after Cooper's flight, a half million dollars was extorted from another airline by another skyjacker. His name was Richard McCoy, who was a former Green Beret skydiver he was sentenced to 45 years for air piracy, which is a really cool crime name, if you ask me. Or band name. Is that taken? Air piracy? Oh, that should be our band name. The, if we could sing. And then our, yeah, if we could sing. And then our first album would be The Glory Days, Days of, of Skyjacking. Sky he apparently escaped prison, but he was tracked down and killed in a gun battle with the FBI. They don't look alike. A lot of people said he must be D.B. Cooper, but he doesn't look like the, either the original sketch or Florence's no, new No, I mean, new they're sketch. both white guys, but other than that, I didn't see a lot of resemblance. They don't look anything alike. Um, that was pretty much everything in the Unsolved Mysteries segment. And then... And then I went down some fucking deep internet rabbit holes. Guys, it's holes. been a long week. It's been a long week. So Samantha is not the same person who was here last week. <laughs> Liz is worse off than I am, but it's, we'll get to that. It's true. I... So if you Google D.B. Cooper, the first thing that comes up is a 2017 article about some new evidence that has surfaced. And there's a lot of clickbaity articles that say things like, has the mystery of D.B. Cooper been solved? And then you scroll through no. five ads and it says no. No, they, they found a piece of fabric in the mountains. It's likely that it was from a parachute harness and maybe that was D.B. Cooper. And no one else has ever parachuted in that area. Well, here's the thing. Despite the golden age of skyjacking. They found $5,000 that's been confirmed that it was absolutely from D.B. Cooper. And they found the placard from the plane. And we're still nowhere near solving this mystery. So I don't know, even if they were definitively able to prove that the scrap of fabric was from D.B. Cooper's parachute harness, what we, does that prove? We know he jumped out of the plane. Right. It That's not the mystery. Anything. The mystery <laughs> he is... He wouldn't have kept the... Like, I don't know. So the reason I bring this up is because there's this guy who they call a sleuth. His name is Tom Colbert. Wait, Samantha, are we sleuths? I don't think so. Because we Not even after this week? No, because we haven't created dbcooper.com and written an entire book about how one guy is probably D.B. Cooper, which is what Tom wow. Colbert has done. And so if you go to dbcooper.com, maybe you can last longer on that website than I did. <laughs> no, it was probably just, not. It was so dense. And they had, like, they have a lot of the book that he wrote, like, pictures of it on the website that you can read through. That D.B. Cooper wrote? I mean, the um, Colbert. This oh, Tom Colbert Not that Dan Cooper wrote on his 30-minute no. flight while smoking a pack of cigarettes. So I took one look at dbcooper.com and I immediately went to the Wikipedia article for this guy's book. That's not for me. I needed the cliff notes version. So Tom Colbert is convinced that DB Cooper is this guy named Rick Rackstraw. That is, where is his first name? Not a real name. Rackstraw. Yeah. Let me find his real name. Robert Rackstraw a 73-year-old army veteran from San Diego with a prior criminal record. And if you look up Robert Rackstraw, his story is kind of bonkers. 
The book that Colbert wrote was The Last Master Outlaw, in case you're interested in learning more about this. Not really. And he... (laughs) (laughs) Well, Colbert recruited recruited 40 retired investigators, including a dozen FBI agents, and they documented Rackstraw's trail through at least 20 states and five countries. For some reason, they call it a secret five-year investigation. I don't know why he was keeping it a secret. He, I don't think he trusts was the FBI. Was it a secret or just did no one care? Um, they also supposedly identified more than 100 piece, pieces of new case evidence that allegedly point to Cooper being Rackstraw, including a 1970 Army ID picture that was later requested by the FBI. The FBI did look into this Rackstraw guy because... But was it just because he had kind of a cool name? No. So it was because, <laughs> first of all, his name was Bob. He like he went by Bob. Oh. And he was Not a former. Rackstra. Yeah. He was a former army pilot and ex ex convict. He had a distinguished military career in Vietnam, but he was dishonorably discharged for conducting unauthorized parachute jumps and <laughs> lying about attending two universities. Oh. Well, they said in who hasn't done that? this Wikipedia article that in the 1970s, he was a deadbeat dad, a four-time felon, an escape artist, and state prison convict. I am um, going to get business cards printed that identify <laughs> me as all of those things. Even a deadbeat dad? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even though you have no children? Yes. Uh, but you are a MILF. No, quit saying that. <laughs> I can't catch on. Um, the FBI Cooper Task Force first became aware of Rackstrap um, because he had two fugitive runs, both involved getaway planes. One was a flight to Iran. The other one involved faking his own death in a Mayday crash over the Monterey Bay. He what? literally crashed a plane to pretend that he died to get away from, I don't really, he said fugitive runs. I don't really know what he was doing, but here's the thing. Not the, paying his child support. Maybe. But in the 80s, he became a respectable member of society, and he became... Okay, what? He cleaned up his act. He got, like, three degrees and became a respected university law instructor. But he lied about those two degrees. Do you think he lied about the three degrees? No, he's, like, legit now, or he was. I'm not sure if he's still alive. But when the FBI finally decided to close the the D.B. Cooper case, this Tom Colbert guy sued the FBI, trying to get them to keep the case open. And in his suit, he claimed that they were somehow ashamed of not catching this Rackstraw guy because they thought it would look bad on them or something. And Rackstraw's lawyer was quoted as saying it's literally the stupidest thing he's ever heard in his life. (laughs) But part of it was kind of Rackstraw's fault because it sounded like he thought it was cool that people thought he was D.B. Cooper and he sure. like would go around telling people that he was. Okay. Yep. That's but really... not helpful, but is highly amusing and I could see myself probably doing this. Yeah, thing. I probably would have. But here's the thing I don't understand. So the FBI, a couple of years ago, there was an FBI agent that wanted to relook at the case. And the FBI apparently was like, sure, we're totally on board with that, but you can't spend any money on this because we have better things to do. That's fair. So he did something that was kind of unprecedented. It might still be pretty unprecedented. He released the entire, like all the evidence, the entire case file, everything to the public. And okay. this group of people who called themselves the citizen sleuths sort of took up the case and started doing a lot of investigating. There was a lot of experts that looked into this evidence, which is why this just doesn't ring of a government cover-up to me. Because they're like, look, if you want to solve this, go ahead. Here's everything we have. They seem to have been relatively transparent about all of this. They just don't want to put any more resources into it because it's so cold. And it's really likely that he didn't survive. But the other thing, too, is you can go, like their website about the D.B. Cooper case with all the evidence on it is still active. 
It does say at the top that the case is closed, but they will accept new evidence if someone in the public comes across it. If we become citizen sleuths? And try and solve this. This might be the one we solve. I don't know. Do you think they have special patches or handshakes if I, I become so. a citizen They sleuth? have a website, which I'll get to in a second. But one of the pieces of evidence they have is his tie. He left his tie on the airplane, and apparently they were able to recover his DNA. So I don't understand, because lots of people yeah. have come forward either claiming that they themselves are D.B. Cooper or a relative is. And some of those people they've ruled out by testing this DNA. I don't know why they can't just test Rakshaw's DNA and put the whole thing to rest. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me either. I mean, there was a time, obviously there was a time where you couldn't do DNA testing, but there was also a time where you needed a fairly large sample in order to do DNA testing. But that's no longer true. I feel like every other episode of Forensic Files is them realizing that they now have enough evidence to replicate and do DNA testing on. So surely they could rule out this Rackstraw guy, who seems like a a character, but probably not D.B. Cooper. Yeah, no, I he wasn't in all likelihood. A bunch of other people have come forward, including a woman, apparently claiming that they're D.B. Cooper. I'm not going to go through all of those. Okay. There's one I will mention. <laughs> apparently, there's a kind of batshit theory that John List, the famous yes. family annihilator, was D.B. Cooper. And it's kind of... That seems like kind of it's extremely crazy. He killed people. See any similarities between these crimes whatsoever? But murdering your whole family, hijacking a plane. List had spent like specifically he spent the last two hundred thousand dollars of his mom's savings account shortly before he killed his whole family, and they think that the fact that Cooper demanded and received two hundred thousand dollars means that he was John List. That's a stretch. No, he wasn't. That's a very round sum of money. It's not. No, that's not a clue at all. That's only a clue if you want it to be a clue. Yeah. To everyone else, that's you can not even a coincidence. Case, the other thing about this case is it's so vague that you can kind of pick out details and like point to just about anyone being D.B. Cooper. So, sure. So who do you think is D.B. Cooper? Then? I think D.B. Cooper is dead, but here we're going to get to it. Okay. So the Citizen Sleuths have a website as well where they outline of all they of do. the evidence they have. There's also a History Channel documentary. It's one of the first ones that come up on YouTube, and a lot of what that documentary talks about is the work that citizens have done trying to solve this case. And what I found especially helpful about the Citizen Sleuths website was that they had a page that basically said everything you need to know about D.B. Cooper in five minutes, hmm. which appeals to me. because you had already done so much research. Yes. You're like, could I just give this five more minutes and be done, please? So they lay out all of the, they call them debate points, which I think is the right way to call them. Because like I said, all of the evidence, the little evidence that exists in this case can be looked at by both sides as proof or at least evidence to suggest that he's either alive or dead. So the first one is the parachute and whether or not he was an experienced skydiver. Hmm. So I found conflicting things about this. So one FBI agent said that no experienced parachutist could have jumped in the pitch black night in the rain with a 200 mile an hour wind in his face, wearing loafers and a trench coat. (laughs) It was simply too risky. He also missed that he had his reserve chute was only used for training and had been sewn shut. A skilled skydiver would have checked. Then other people said basically that if he was a moderately good skydiver, like if he had skydived a few times, he could have potentially survived. If he was an experienced skydiver, he would have for sure survived. And if he was a novice or had never done it, he would have died. 
So it's really not clear to me. There are a couple things. He asked for specifically military parachutes, which a lot of people point to as him being having military skydiving experience. Not necessarily. No, because here's the other thing. One of the documentaries I watched, they interviewed interviewed a master rigger, which is someone whose whole job is to rig parachutes. Oh, okay. And they had this guy, this was the actual guy who rigged the parachutes that were given to D.B. Cooper. Oh. And he said a couple things. The first thing he said is that the fact that D.B. Cooper asked for backpacks and front packs, that's not the language. That's not what they're actually called. Oh. That's not the military jargon. I don't know if that's proof one way or another, but he said that's not what we call them. That's interesting. He also gave him a variety of types of parachutes to choose from, and the one he picked was like the worst one you could have picked. It apparently was really heavy and cumbersome. And you once the parachute was open, you couldn't maneuver it. So if you were going to fly into a lake, for instance, you couldn't take a different path. You were going to fall where you're going to fall. The, that was almost like a little test. Oh, yeah? You want a parachute? Which one? Kind of. Oh, that one? And that was oh. the one that had the reserve chute sewn shut. So if the first parachute didn't work, he wouldn't be able to get the reserve chute. Right. The thing you pull to launch the parachute apparently on this type of parachute is really flat against your body. And when it's cold and you're not wearing gloves, it's hard to find. It's hard to find and grab when you're in the wind. It's a scary situation. The guy they interviewed was basically like, I had have no idea why he would have picked that parachute. I think it's kind of, he didn't know better. Or maybe it's the only one he used in the military. Maybe it's the one he had the most familiarity with. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it necessarily means that he was an, a novice it seems to lean that way but it kind of doesn't matter and we'll get to why in a second the money they found so it's kind of problematic because when they initially found this money they thought that the the area where the money was found had been dredged after db cooper like several years after db cooper landed that means if that were true if that area had been dredged for the money to be found buried shallowly in the sandbar someone would have had to put it there years later after it had been dredged interesting actually th- that part of the river had been dredged but the specific area where the money was found it the dredge, dredging stopped short of that. So okay. that area, the, the money could have shown up there the day that he jumped out of the plane. Okay. The other thing about the money is, yes, it was upstream in the on the Columbian River from where he could have landed. But they said in a documentary I watched that that river was an extremely busy shipping lane mm-hmm. at the time. So it's perfectly possible that if he landed in the water and died, that the parachute, all of that rope could have gotten caught up in a boat and just pulled upriver. And mm-hmm. then that's how it ended up upriver. So it doesn't seem to really prove anything. None of this proves anything. <sighs> There's another thing. <laughs> if only you could see Samantha's sad face right now, listeners. <laughs> There's just, I have so much research in front of me that I'm trying to kind of sort it out. The real question is, Brian, what do you think happened to D.B. Cooper? <laughs> Since this is your favorite mystery, surely you have a theory. Is he alive? Is he dead? Are you D.B. Cooper? Yeah, there was another thing that they wonder, was Cooper from the area? He recognized Tacoma from the air, which seems to suggest that he was local. But also they think he would be an idiot to hijack an airplane where he could possibly be recognized. So that suggests that maybe he wasn't from the area. He made a very unusual request for negotiable American currency, which 
Seems to mean. People think that means that he wasn't from the United States, but he didn't have an accent, so who knows? This is why I think that he probably perished. So first of all, they had an extensive search of the area. They were pretty certain they narrowed down the area where he jumped. Mm -hmm. And they searched it extremely thoroughly, very shortly after he jumped. The other thing is that the inner, the, one of the citizen sleuths was an expert who said that regardless of whether he was an experienced skydiver or not, he was wearing a parachute that you couldn't maneuver. And based on their calculations, whether he opened the parachute shortly after he jumped out of the plane or whether he opened it right above the, the ground, mm-hmm. either of those would have taken him either to the lake or the Columbia River. So it seems extremely likely that he landed in water no matter how experienced he was And he's using this parachute that's hard to maneuver. Yeah, so he was going to land where he was going to land. And based on calculations that people have done, it would have been in the water in November. He was wearing a heavy parachute. With the weight of the money. He had a 21-pound bag of money strapped to his body. He's wearing loafers. It's extremely unlikely. Yeah, he was wearing a suit. It's not likely that he... We don't know what he had under his suit, Samantha. Well, yeah, the FBI agent in Unsolved Mysteries he said he sh- could have had long underwear he underneath. He should have been wearing long underwear. That's still not preparing him to land in ice cold water. No, but this guy really, really wanted to believe that D.B. Cooper <laughs> was alive and awesome. A lot of people want to believe that he played the system, that he was an exotic hijacker. Man of mystery. Yeah, they really romanticize him and that a lot of people want to believe that he really did make off with $200,000 and he's sipping margaritas on a beach in Mexico. I just think that's really unlikely. He probably landed in water and he probably got hypothermia and died and the Columbia River eventually goes to the to the ocean. So the fact that they oh, never found his body. That was going to be my question. Then where does his not body? mean that he didn't die. A lot of people point to the fact that there's no body, so he must be alive. Well, he could be at the bottom of the ocean because one of the ships or boats, whatever the fuck, could have taken him there. (laughs) One of the ship boats, a subject we're experts on, could have taken him to the ocean. So I haven't done a ton of scholarly research on this. That Colbert guy apparently has 100 pieces of evidence to suggest that someone else is D.B. Cooper. I just think the likely scenario is that he died. Every time you say Colbert, I picture Stephen Colbert. <coughs> I know. I don't know if that's how Tom actually pronounces his name, but that's how I, I hope it. it is. I hope they're related, or I hope they're the same person. I hope Maybe. this is Stephen Colbert's <laughs> hobby when he's not hosting that night show. He has dedicated his life. Dedicated to his harassing life harassing Tom Rackshaw. Yes, or Bob Rackshaw. I'm. That's what. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing in my mind, and I like it. So this case was pretty interesting. I have to admit, I didn't think I was going to find it as interesting as I did. It is more exciting to think that he made it out alive, but it I seems just, unlikely. I, I mean, a lot of people point to the fact that there were other successful, like that McCoy guy successfully jumped out of a plane, but he also landed on land and not in water. So I don't think the fact that he survived is evidence that D.B. Cooper definitely survived. Listening to you, it sounds like all the experts say he probably didn't make it. And the well, amateurs I'm sure say, Tom Colbert considers himself an expert. Yeah, but he's like a self-proclaimed expert. He's not a skydiving expert. Right. He's not a someone with a military expertise in skydiving or something. Yeah. It sounds like the people who know what they're talking about go, yeah, I don't see how he would have made it at night in the rain, in loafers, in this and that. And the amateurs just want to believe that it's true because it's a cool story. In all likelihood, he landed in water. He's probably dead. So he's probably dead, which is unfortunate. Hmm. Yeah. That's it. I would like to hear other people's D.B. Cooper theories. theories. I would too. I mean, I've heard a lot already, but. 
So yeah, Samantha's probably like, I don't want to. DB Cooper now. I did, yeah. As fascinating as I found it, I'm kind of done with this one. Yeah, you need a break. You're not Stephen Colbert. You're not willing to dev- devote your life to investigating D.B. Cooper. Uh, you did put a lot of work into this mystery. Thank you. Are you ready to talk about all the work you put into yours? My Lord. Oh, where to even begin with this case? <laughs> if you could see Liz right now, she looks <laughs> so exhausted. I'm so t- I'm honestly like covering my eyes going like, oh, what am I going to do? So I don't know where you're going to I don't even know. I, wh- I had some... I have listened to a podcast about this before I even started watching Unsolved Mysteries. And so when I saw that this was the case in this episode, I immediately sent Liz a text and I was like, get ready to go down some internet rabbit holes on this one. Even with Good it. luck. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. Even with that warning, I was not prepared. And at some point, sent Samantha a message that just said, oh, fuck my mystery. <laughs> She did. That's an actual text I received. <laughs> Where she was like, oh, no, what's wrong? And no, I, like, I knew exactly what I was, was like, wrong. <laughs> this, this is, yeah, so Samantha already knew what I was getting into. This is how, let me prove to you how devoted to podcasting Samantha is. Samantha, what kind of music do you listen to? I, I don't listen to music. Because you're listening to podcasts? <laughs> yes. Yes. And audiobooks, actually. I, I literally don't, I couldn't even name a popular song right now. So Samantha already knew that I should listen to the True Crime Garage episodes. The Boys on the Tracks. It's a four-part series. It's a four-part series. If you want to know more, because we're not going to be able to cover everything. That's the thing. Go listen to that podcast. It's really well done. I feel overwhelmed at the moment because this case goes into such bizarre territory. Yeah. And there's just, we don't have time. They did a four-episode show on this case. (laughs) And even they said there's even more to this than we can cover. But let's start with Unsolved Mysteries. We'll go from there. Yep. And we'll see what crazy (laughs) rabbit holes we go down. So it's an unexplained death. It's from August of 87. A Union Pacific train is driving along at night, heading into Byron, Arkansas, which is a small town, at 52 miles an hour. It's a long train. It's pulling 75 cars. Cars. I think, of I cargo. Think cars, yeah. yeah. And Stephen Schroyer is the train engineer, and he sees something on the track. And he realizes that it's actually two people lying on the track under a tarp beside a gun. So he. It's kind of sort of like the tarp was on them, sort of like a blanket, like over yeah, their, their it's laps. Not like he's completely covering yeah, them. Yeah, partially. It's weird. partially covering them. Maybe the wind. Blew it. Yeah. I don't know. But they're partially covered by a tarp. That's going to come into play later. Just remember that little that <laughs> little factoid. So he pulls the emergency brake. The, there's three crew members on the freight train. They all do everything by protocol. Unfortunately, for a train that size going that fast to stop takes half a mile. Yeah. So. They were going to hit them. They were they, going to hit them. It. And they did what they could. They blared the emergency horn. They followed procedure, but there just isn't that much time. And they, they run over these two people on the Who track. Who didn't flinch, right? So the train was coming at them. They were blowing the horn. Yeah. Hoping if they were laying on the tracks for some reason, they would get up. And they didn't move a muscle. Try to imagine yourself in that situation where it's pitch black at night. You're lying. Say me and Samantha. <laughs> Are lying on a train <laughs> on the track <laughs> on the train tracks parallel to each other, right? Yeah, yeah. So our heads are on inside one side of the track, and then our legs are going over the other, and we're laying 
perfectly still. A train is is barring down on us. Is that yeah, a phrase? Yeah. And we don't even look at it. We don't it. flinch. We don't flinch. We don't move. I don't turn to Samantha and go, why <laughs> did we think this was a good idea? Right? Like, we just lie there completely still as the train runs over us. Awful. Right? And that's awful for these two people. It's also awful for the people on the train oh, yeah. that know that this is inevitable and there's nothing they can do to stop it. The two boys, as it turned out, were Don Henry and Kevin Ivey. I think one was 16, one was 17. They were high school seniors. At first, this death is ruled as an accident or suicide. The scene is not secured. No. Which is really unfortunate. It's treated as like a traffic accident Mm -hmm. and not as possible foul play, which in any circumstance like this, you really have to eliminate the possibility of foul play first. And then if you find out it's really an accident, you already have that evidence. It turns out you didn't need it, opposed to the other way around. Right. They, apparently there was a state police officer there. It was not his jurisdiction. He just showed up to help. And he is quoted as observing some strange behavior on the part of the sheriff's department, including the fact that they immediately started investigating it like an accident. Yeah. Which the fact of the matter is, is that in that situation, you only get one chance to collect evidence. So treating it like possible homicide initially, if it ends up not to be that, okay, that's not. You at least, if it ends up that it is, you have that evidence. You can't go back and correct that initial mistake and have a secure scene and have collected the evidence. Unsolved Mysteries clearly is not a show that wants to disparage a police force, but even Unsolved Mysteries is like, there's something going on here. Like, this wasn't handled well. And the first medical examiner that... Fami. Fami. Fami Malik. Fami Malik, who is involved in a few suspicious cases and is a little bit of a notorious name and some conspiracy theories and such... He rules that this death is related to the boys smoking 20 marijuana cigarettes. Each. Not each. 10 each, 20 each. Which, I'm going to admit that I'm not cool and I don't smoke. Neither do but, I. Um, Nor have I ever. But I still know. That's a lie. <laughs> that's a lie. If, uh, if that's a, a lot of time. If a 16-year-old even had that much. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Also, smoking 20 joints doesn't make you unafraid of trains? Yes. Yeah, he said, <laughs> this medical examiner said not only did they smoke 20 joints each, but that made them f- lay down and fall asleep on the railroad tracks. Yeah, perfectly still in parallel lines. Um, and not surprisingly, their parents were like, what? Yeah, their parents, kudos to them, really stood up to this report. They stood up to the fact that it was ruled as an accident. They stood up to the fact that their sons were being blamed for smoking pot and just said, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. The things that you're telling us don't compute. You're, you want to dismiss this and move on instead of actually investigating. There was one of the fathers said in Unsolved Mysteries, and I absolutely love this detail, that he said his son would not have laid his gun <laughs> down on the gravel because it would have scratched the wood. Yeah. Like, he's like, I know. Sure, okay, maybe my son got high and laid on some railroad tracks, but there's no way. <laughs> there's no way he just set his gun down on the ground. That was the weird part, too, because the gun was like, a, if you can imagine a third person laying with them, the gun was parallel with the boys. Even if they did lay down and fall asleep on the railroad they, tracks. They line it perfectly up. Yeah. And I just think that little detail shows someone who knows their kid. Yeah. Like, 
you're telling me all this other bullshit that doesn't make any sense that my kid smoked 20 joints in a single evening and passed out on railroad tracks but you're also telling me that he set his prized gun down on this gravel right and would have let it get scratched or run over by a train no it turns out that the boys were together they were staying at I think it's Ives house I'm not sure it doesn't really matter yeah, I don't know. they were together for the night and they were planning to go spotlighting which is a form of illegal hunting um, where you shine light on animals so they freeze and then you shoot them. So that's why they were out at night. With a gun. With a gun. Which is, it was a 22 rifle. It's a small gun. It sounded like it was a popular thing that kids in the area did. Yeah. Go spotlighting. One of the parents knew they were going spotlighting and was like, yeah, great. Go have fun. Yeah. Didn't seem like a big... It's illegal hunting. I don't think they had a hunting license. That form of hunting is illegal, but whatever. They're just kids. They're out. They're messing around. They don't come back all night. Their parents start to get worried. And then it turns out that they are crushed by a train. Yeah. Unsolved Mysteries talks about someone seeing a weird man and military fatigues and how that might be connected to the case. I don't think that has anything to do with anything. There's no evidence. That's just a total red herring. The other thing, I think because this Unsolved Mysteries aired shortly after this happened, Robert Stack tells you, oh, after filming this segment, uh, the, the parents had petitioned for another autopsy, an autopsy that made goddamn sense, yeah. right? And they had to get someone to come out of state. They fought hard to get that. Yeah. They were really resisted on the... They might have even paid for it yeah. themselves. So they got someone else to come and look at the bodies. And they said, oh, uh, one of these boys was stabbed. So Robert Stack mentions that at the end of the segment, like, hey, uh, we might have some information on why these boys, the mystery of why these boys didn't move while a train was coming at them. They were well, already dead. They were already dead. Yeah. Which you kind of knew. Yeah. They, they had to be dead or unconscious. And the, the train crew. The train crew knew it. Knew it. That they, there's there's just no way they wouldn't have moved. No. And also. Well, I don't know if you're going to get to the other details about the crime scene, like the blood and stuff. Yes. Okay, I'll save it for that then. Yes, because that's not covered on Unsolved Mysteries. I'm sure they, they wanted to. They kept it a little more family They wanted friendly. to make it a little less gross. The police tell the train crew that they're wrong, that there wasn't a tarp. And there and wasn't a gun. There wasn't a gun. And that the boys were alive. And the train crew's like, eh, no. We don't we don't buy that. The parents don't buy that. And Unsolved Mysteries is kind of like, oh, what's happening in this case, right? Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> is this where your extra research came uh, in? That's where I was unprepared, despite Samantha's warning, <laughs> about the internet rabbit hole that I was about to go down. Uh, Samantha, do you know who actually murdered those boys? Could it have been the Clintons? It was Hillary Rodham Clinton. Herself. Herself who did it. Uh, because after watching this episode and going like, oh, that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting mystery. I wonder what did happen to those boys. I wonder what Samantha's alluding to. I will go to unsolved.com and read the comments. It's <laughs> a good place to start. Oh, holy shit. Uh, about half of them are about the Clintons and how the Clintons pretty much personally killed those boys. And right now you're going, Because Bill what? Clinton was the governor of Arkansas at the yes. time. So it's not completely out of nowhere. And this does smell a little like a police cover-up, but there's a lot of people who are like, it goes all the way to the governor's office. Bill Clinton himself told Fong Malik <laughs> that these boys must have yes. smoked 40 joints. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it gets pretty wacky very quickly. 
where the, the Clintons personally murdered them to cover up their child pornography ring. For some reason, people... People blame the Clintons for literally everything. The Clintons Anything. killed John Bonet. The yes. Clintons did. Th- I mean, uh-huh. it's it's ridiculous. We're not even going to talk about Pizzagate. I know your husband would like us too. Uh, he would. He has a lot of <laughs> Pizzagate related observations. Uh, I, there's not a crazy. We don't cons- have time. No, that's the thing with this case, though, is it spreads out into so many directions. Yeah. So. Bill Clinton is the governor of Arkansas at this time. He is clearly planning to run for president. There is some level of police cover-up. Yeah, because there's a lot that Unsolved Mysteries left out about how the sheriffs royally fucked up this investigation. Yeah, they did such a bad job that I I don't think they lost that tarp. I think they purposely disposed of it. They, They didn't secure the scene. They didn't even... This is awful. They didn't pick up all of the body parts of the boys. Nope. So people from the town who later like went by to check it out and see what was happening found toes and bits of them. Yep. Family members found a large piece of cardboard that appeared to have blood on it that looked like something that could have been used to drag the boys' bodies mm-hmm. to the the tracks because they're 17, 16 years old. They're going to be heavy and hard to carry, right? Yeah. Way easier to drag them. That piece of evidence is handed over to the police. Never seen again. That's oh. not entered into evidence. That no longer exists. That can't be tested for DNA or anything like that. That's just gone. There was no blood. The Both yeah. the train conductors, this is kind of morbid, but the train conductors said they hit animals all the time. And when they hit live animals, like deer or dogs there's a lot of bright red blood and both the train conductors and the emts that showed up said it looked like they had hit mannequins because there was hardly any blood and the blood that was there was like purple and it was already congealed yeah so they're saying to the cops like this is weird but we really expected there to be a lot more blood. Like, if they had been alive, if they had fallen asleep on the tracks, there when, would be fresh blood. When we finally got the train to stop and we got off and walked back half a mile to see what had happened, we thought we were going to come across a very bloody scene. Mm-hmm. And instead, we just came upon body parts. And that's yeah. odd. And you should look into that. It shocked me that even the medical professionals who showed up, the EMTs, said... This does not look this like is not, live victims. This is not what you're saying. These people's hearts were not beating yep. seconds before they were hit by the train. But at the scene, the police were like, no, no, no. This is this just is an accident. accident. Um, they let another train go through? Yeah, That shocked me. A crime scene. You let a train drive through a crime scene. Because they clearly what didn't the care. Fuck? They yeah. didn't care about preserving the scene. So then you think, why didn't they care about preserving the scene? Right. Post Unsolved Mysteries, in the years that followed, a few eyewitnesses came forward. Why did it take them a while to come forward? Because they were afraid. And who who were they going to report it to? One eyewitness sees these two boys get into an altercation with police officers where, quote, the police officers were beating the shit out of them. This was hours previous to their deaths, right? Mm -hmm. Who do you report that to? If the the police are corrupt in your small town then what are you supposed to do with that information? And also, you're scared for yourself. So that eyewitness took a while to come forward and eventually said, hey, actually, I know that these two teens had an altercation with the police, and then the police didn't really seem that interested in figuring out how they died. Yeah. There was another eyewitness that came forward to say that he had seen three figures down at the tracks right before their deaths, 
One of them being the prosecutor of the case. <laughs> it's a wild turn. Dan Harmon. Not to be confused with the creator of the TV show Community. <laughs> <laughs> he was the prosecutor in this area and also the person in charge of that case, which is just wild. Yeah. Like that is such a twist. How did he recognize that that was Dan Harmon? Dan Harmon used to date his mom. Yep. We're talking about an area with, I think they said like 5,000 people. Yeah. You're going to know the people around town, right? Especially if your mom dated him. Particularly if your mom dated him and particularly if he's a powerful person, right? Sounds like kind of a dick. Who, yeah, (laughs) seems like a total douchebag. So he sees Dan Harmon at the tracks with two figures who he believes to be cops just hours before these boys' bodies are found. Yeah. Here's the thing. We don't know exactly what happened. We do know that Dan Harmon, he was tried for drug offenses and corruption. So I feel fine Right. Because what we do know is that there was a lot of drug trafficking going on in this area. So much so that there was like airplanes that would land in fields and drop off drugs. It's kind of ridiculous. This is part of why people bring in Bill Clinton. So... This area of Arkansas was known for drug trafficking as a huge million billion dollar cocaine business, mm-hmm. which is speculated to be brought in by CIA planes. It's speculated by who? The same people yeah. who think Bill Clinton murdered those boys? No, that seems what much more accepted. Oh, okay. That not that the CIA itself is an organization is smuggling drugs, but pilots who worked for the CIA oh, okay. were like well, you know, I got this plane. Side business. Yeah. Like, coke. right. I already have to fly to Nicaragua. Why don't I come back with some cocaine? When I started reading about this, I was like, well, these boys are killed in Byron, Arkansas. Everybody keeps talking about Mena, Arkansas, which is where the airport is. That's a two hour drive away. I looked up in Google. I was like, it would take you two days to walk there. I was like, well, the boys didn't just stumble <laughs> They didn't go out for their night of hunting and then stumble into this drug ring. But what it seems happened is that there was an airstrip in Byron where planes would make unregistered stops before actually going to the Mena airport, right? Okay. So you're flying back from overseas with your drugs. You can't go straight to the airport. Right, because you have drugs. Because you have drugs. (laughs) (laughs) That's how how the drug business works, folks. So they would make... I got it figured out. Yeah, so they would make a quick stop in Byron to drop off those drugs with their lights off or who knows what, right? And then they would actually go to the Mena airport. Because at first I was like, there's no way this airport is connected. It's so far away. I don't understand what all these okay, people are talking about. Okay, that makes about. more sense to me. So they're making a drug drop off. It seems like that's by the train tracks. I don't know if it's the train involved. Are you taking the drugs from the airplane to a train and that's how you're moving them around or something? I don't know, maybe. This is, I probably have confused everyone. This is so complicated and <laughs> it's people's convoluted. theories go in every direction. Like you could just do a thing on, you know, we could devote a whole book. I think people have on the possible drug trafficking through the Mena airport. Like that's a whole other right. thing and a whole other mystery. Well, because of the later charges related to both drugs and corruption, it seems like Dan Harmon wasn't, despite being the prosecutor, was also running a drug ring. So, so it's not, you know, the fact that they have witnesses down by the tracks where the boys ended up. Yeah. They could have seen something that they, you know, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's my theory. Whether they were out illegally hunting or what, they're teenage boys. They're out. They're messing around. 
Maybe they know something shady and weird is happening over the train tracks and they go to check it out. That's exactly the sort of dumb thing a 16-year-old's going to do. Yeah, So they're running around at night and maybe they just end up, they see something they're not supposed to see. Dan Harmon thinks they're trying to rip him off. Who knows? They're in the wrong place at the wrong time. It seems like at least some portion of the police force there was corrupt and working for Dan Harmon is like his muscle. Mm -hmm. They get into a fight with the boys. Maybe one of the boys ends up dead. They have to kill the other one. They end up putting them on the tracks. Yeah. Dan Harmon was not just a known drug kingpin. He was also a known cokehead. Yeah. So he, this could very well happen while he's coked up. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And he thinks that they're up to something. Uh, they were found with, like, a tiny amount of pot. Yeah, not so people were t- 40 spent joints? No, not... <laughs> for, they did not smoke 40 joints. One of them had a tiny amount of pot in their pocket. It does seem like they probably bought some pot that night. Oh, well. Like, who cares? That is nothing Certainly to, not enough to make you fall asleep. There's... I don't think that amount <laughs> exists. I just... I would believe it more if they were drunk yeah. and fell asleep on yeah. the tracks. It just... It's total... That's the part to me... In looking into it, and I I hope I've talked about it in some vaguely (laughs) followable manner because it was really hard to figure out what is speculation and Mm -hmm. what has any proof behind it. Even in with reputable sources, it was hard to separate their theories of what happened from things that there's really any concrete proof. And a week was not enough time. Um, <laughs> for me Forever to get, is not enough no, time. for me to get to the bottom of this. So, you know, bear with me. I started watching a really low rent documentary on YouTube and I got like five minutes in before it got <laughs> racist. I'm not even kidding. And I was like, okay, not watching that. Um, if this is a case that you're interested in, definitely listen to the true crime garage. They do a great job and they're far four part series. There's also a book called the boys on the tracks by Mara Leverett who also wrote a book about the West Memphis Three. That's supposed to be good. But again, that's an entire book. Yeah, we have one segment of one podcast. Okay, the part that I don't understand is why Dr. Malik, the, I just wrote down, is the worst on earth. Um, (laughs) Fami, the original medical examiner. Yeah, why the original medical examiner. So say that he's paid off by... Dan Harmon. Right, or a lot of people are saying he was paid off to do this, make this ruling. Yeah, why did he make something that makes no sense? He couldn't have picked a better lie than that? He, for some reason, he really seemed, based on how it was described in things like True Crime Garage, it seemed like he really thought people would just buy the fact that they were that He extremely arrogant, and I think was just expecting, like, no one's going to question me, I'm a doctor. Right, and maybe he just didn't... Did he understand how marijuana works? I don't I don't think so. That's something Mac also said. It was like, this is like a really old man. And he's like, oh, they smoked. He said they were under the influence, the psychedelic influence, influence of, of THC. 20 marijuana cigarettes. It's which not they a kept psychedelic. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't do drugs and I know that. <laughs> like, <laughs> There is another case they talked about on True Crime Garage <laughs> where Dr. Malik had ruled that someone had died of an ulcer. What was the problem with that, Samantha, uh, that ruling? He lost his head. Yeah, he was also decapitated. <laughs> I feel like losing your head. when you have an ulcer, your head just falls off. I feel like losing your head is going to kill you before the ulcer gets you. <laughs> and then his explanation, and when people were like, yeah, where's the head then? He was like, oh, the, his dog ate it and regurgitated it. 
Ugh, it was bizarre. What? Yeah. Dog. <laughs> what? And people were like, really? With this like clean cut line that's a dog <laughs> ate a head? And he was just like, yep. He like the really doubled down on it. The dog was also a surgeon. Apparently there's a lot of weird rulings from him like that. Where he had ruled unnatural deaths natural. Like people yeah. who had hung themselves. He people ruled. who were clearly murdered. Yeah. They're also, we don't have time to get into this, but there are several witnesses involved in this Boys on the Tracks case end up dying under suspicious circumstances. Mm-hmm. Dr. Malik is the medical examiner for a few of those. One of them he claims is a motorcycle accident, except that, whoa, whoops, his throat was slit. <laughs> I, that's what, like, make something up that makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a really weird case. It gets, there's a witness that gets stabbed a hundred times. There's a witness that people in clown outfits break into his head. <laughs> it goes so many places. It's wild, you guys. It's totally wild, and that's why I know that Hillary Clinton is the real murderer. Yep. Yep. No. The reason people think that is they assume that because... As governor, Bill Clinton did not remove Dr. Malik as the medical examiner. In fact, he got promoted and he got a raise. I mean, he got a raise, but he ended up only making like 60 grand a year. Yeah. Uh, But I also feel like that's probably a lot of money there. So. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But I'll say I'm not. Oh, God. Send hate mail to me and not to (laughs) Samantha. I'm not the biggest fan of either of the Clintons. I don't think that they're murderers. No. I think at the worst, Bill Clinton was like, I'm going to run for president. I don't want to get involved in this. Like, this is not politically advantageous for me to point out that this is right. suspicious. At worst, he neglected to... He looked the other way yeah. or he he failed to get involved in something that he thought he didn't want to admit was happening on his watch or whatever. Something People want to think... If Hillary Clinton is that goddamn powerful, she would not have lost two presidential elections, people. <laughs> she would be president right now if she had that kind of control over every. If you believe internet commenters, I mean, and if you believe internet commenters, the Clintons are that powerful. They're it's ridiculous. Yeah, and they're just are they people who are extremely interested in their own careers? Yes, yeah. I would say that they're probably pretty selfish people. Yeah, at the expense of these families, probably. probably. But does that mean they were? Had a hand in the cover-up? <laughs> Do I think that Hillary Clinton, from the way people were talking, was literally down at the tracks <laughs> shoving a boy's body so a train would hit? No. I'm going to say I don't believe that. No. We don't know exactly what happened. It's a shame that the case is closed and that they're not investigating it. I could be convinced, and I think I frankly am convinced, that there was a cover-up to some extent in the sheriff's department. I think so. But... I- did and it I, go any higher than that? I doubt it. Yeah. Is it the sheriffs themselves that possibly killed the boys after an altercation? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it seems like it could have been. We don't know who the actual murderers were, and it doesn't seem like we will. And the parents are have been keeping this case alive and still yeah. pushing for some justice, and it, it doesn't seem like they're going to get it, which is very tragic. And mm-hmm. I commend them for fighting city hall or however you want to phrase it and (laughs) they actually after the first uh autopsy and ridiculous medical ruling held a press conference to say that this is bullshit this is bullshit this is not how our sons died and that that got the case reopened and got more attention and i think that was a ballsy move it got the case opened by dan Harmon. yeah which is a a a turn we're not gonna go far down but it did seem kind of a brilliant move though where he was like you're right your sons probably were murdered. Let me help you and let me take care of it. And it turns out, like, oh, he's probably, like, really involved. Yeah. I can't, I'm not 
aware of another case like this where it turns out the prosecutor is actually either the murderer or involved in the covering cover up. it up. It's, it's wild. It's something out of a a, a terrible Nicolas Cage movie. Or Honestly, it's just crazy. If you pitch this idea for a fiction novel, people would be like, you're trying too hard. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, of course it's the pro. Oh. Right, because it's stranger than fiction in a lot of yeah. ways. It's like, and then did it turn out he was literally possessed by the devil? Because this is, <laughs> like, at this point, it's so over the top that. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really crazy. And I, I probably got some facts wrong on that one because I'm just, like Samantha, drowning in information <laughs> about this case. It's really wild. Yeah. And, but I think also trying to blame the Clintons because you hate the Clintons and you want to blame them for stuff. You're losing sight of the fact that two boys are dead. Yeah. And you're losing sight of the fact that those poor people on the train yeah. were traumatized. And their family, like, there's a lot of victims that are sort of being Left callously used yeah. to make propaganda about why Bill Clinton is a child molester. Which, that's how we'll end that. <laughs> That's how I'm. Uh, you want to talk about sports memorabilia now? Never. <laughs> I never. You guys. One thing I never want to talk about it's sports and the memorabilia associated with it. If there's anything I could possibly hate more than treasure hunting stories, it's anything about sports memorabilia. <laughs> <laughs> but here we go. There's one more mystery in this episode, folks. It's a long one. It's a long one, but I don't know how much I'm going to have to say about it. I was so exhausted after doing all that DB Cooper yeah, research. Yeah, we did like no research. But I was like, one. sports? Okay. Whatever. I mean, I did a little. We'll talk about it. So this yeah. is a fraud case. Here's what happened. So, first of all, did you know that sports memorabilia is like a multi-billion dollar industry? I'm not I guess surprised I guess, because but old holy, white men have too much money. Holy shit. <laughs> so, yeah, Dennis Walker was a guy who amassed a trove of sports memorabilia valued at nearly $10 million. And the entire collection is missing. Here's what happened. And it, I don't have it. I'm going to say that right now. No one would suspect this. I <laughs> Did you ever do sports? No. No, neither. I'm I'm a picked last in gym class do kind of sports. Kid. This should indicate how little we care about sports. Did you I, ever play the basketball, Liz? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I literally was picked last for gym class all the time. It was extremely traumatic. I I hate everything about sports. Yep, I took power walking as an elective gym class in college. Oh, me too. Yeah. yeah. We yep. had to make journals. <laughs> Literally walking. Walking. Was, was a that's class how I... averse I am to any kind of physical activity. So that's one of the things we have in common. It's this Ugh, true so... crime, RuPaul's Drag Race, and a complete faith in Korean skincare. That's what binds us together. It pretty much is, yeah. So on June... <laughs> In June 1980, Dennis Walker quit his job as a science teacher in Oregon. He set up an investment company. So fishy, right? Like right I just, off the bat. I'm I was doing like, air what? quotes around investment company what? in Medford, Oregon. Robert Stack said that he concocted a grandiose investment scheme. Among other things, he opened up his own bank in the South Pacific island of Tonga. I didn't even know you could do that. I guess you can't. He did. Uh, <laughs> he offered a 25% interest rate on investments. And at first he actually did pay off his early investors on schedule. Um, and more than 140 people like right off the bat gave him more than $7 million. That's yeah. And okay. so his, it was a Ponzi scheme. Basically his scam was this. He, as described by a police officer, someone would give him say like $10,000 and he would claim that he'd give them back $12,500. 
But he didn't actually give them that money. He just gave them like an IOU on a slip of paper and said, in a year, I owe you this money. And he fooled a lot of people, including all of his employees who invested money with him. I felt bad for that one employee that they interviewed. They had so much faith in him. I don't and really know he, why, no, but he must have been did, very charismatic in some way. I guess. What he did was he took all that money and he bought rare and expensive sports memorabilia. Robert Stagg said it was like he was acting out his childhood fantasy. It's exactly like that. It's if he was he was scamming people so that he could just go do whatever baseball he cards. ever wanted. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty like, much. I used to be a kid and sit around and think, how great would it be if I had the first baseball card ever? Well... Give me all your money and I'll go do it. <laughs> yeah, and for some reason, his employees slash investors found it, like, they said comforting that he had all their money tied up in $22 million worth of baseball collectibles. Yeah, because there's no way that could just, like, burn down. Or disappear. Yeah. Which is what it's gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> he built one of the most prized collections in the country, and he even created his own sports hall of fame. Which I just wrote, opening your own sports hall of fame is insane, and then I un- <laughs> underlined insane a few times. It's it's such a, like, megal- megalomaniac thing to do. Yeah, here are some of the things that he had, and a lot of these mean nothing to me, but I'm going to read them because they'll probably mean something to some one of you. These are rare sportsy things, you guys. Babe Ruth's ring, Mickey Mantle's uniform, Pete Rose's silver bat, Babe Ruth's New York Yankees uniform, a sheet of uncut baseball cards worth $10,000. Who is paying that for uncut baseball cards? Uh, Dennis, I guess. Two Honus Wagner baseball cards from the year 1910 that were worth $70,000. Pete Rose's diamond-studded ring worth $30,000. That's just some of the things he had in his museum. Uh Uh-huh. Which is crazy. And at some point, the state of Oregon was like, this seems like a racket. So they started investigating. Apparently, no one complained. Like, people weren't getting their money, but they were kind of, like, fine with it. Because they are like, well, he has it in all of these. He's just, he's taken my money and he put it in uncut (laughs) baseball cards. And that seems to be a great idea. I guess I'll get it back. Yeah, so they eventually gather enough evidence on him to prosecute him for illegal, the illegal sale of unregistered securities. He never appeared in court, though. He got all his employees to help pack up his collection then one of his employees said an offensive racist phrase and Walker drove the collection away and it was never seen again. Hmm. So that's, that's what happened in all of my sports collectibles as well. <laughs> yeah, weird, huh? So they think he died in a Las Vegas hotel. They found his decomposing body. He had registered under a different name, but there was a prescription bottle with the name Dennis Walker on it. And they compared autopsy photos to photos of him. And they also looked at dental records. So it was him. They couldn't figure out how he died because he was so decomposed or something. And in Unsolved Mysteries, Robert Stack says no one knows what happened to him. They, over the years, recovered some of the stuff, but only a fraction. So they recovered Babe Ruth's uniform and Babe Ruth's World Series ring, but a lot of it is just missing. I went on the internet to try and do some additional research. There's a website called Hall of Shame that you can go and look at. Of course there is. It was super dense. At one point, it claimed that Charlie Sheen has a bunch of this stuff. I don't really know how. I was trying to follow the I logic. buy that. No, I buy it. <laughs> yep. Okay, mystery solved. Was, Charlie Sheen has it. Got I it. I was trying to follow the logic, but they kept throwing around names of athletes and sports memorabilia collectors. Like, I would just know who they are. And you if you're know, going to that website, you probably do know you who don't they know are. You know the name but... of big sports memorabilia collectors? <laughs> Samantha, I, 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 thought you really had a po- I thought you had a podcast. <laughs> I thought you were an expert on this. 
What I did find interesting is that a lot of people think Dennis Walker's death was a gang hit. Why? I think he might have been involved in some gangs. There is also another Ponzi scheme guy who was operating in Medford, Oregon, that there's another Unsolved Mysteries episode about coming up. His name was... Man, don't invest in Medford, guys. His name was Stephen Cox, and he was basically conducting the same exact scheme. Like, he he went down to offering people 25% interest rates. Like, it was exactly the same scheme. They were both in Medford, Oregon. I wonder which one started No one's really sure if they were working together or what was going on, but it's weird and suspicious. And, yeah, a lot of the stuff is just missing. It seems like no one really... Like, it changes hands so often at these auctions and stuff that no one can keep track of it. And a lot of people are confused about where it goes. Like, they'll think that this person has it. There was, I think, it was either Pete Rose, was that his name, his wife? Or maybe it was someone related to Babe Ruth who, like, had a suspicion about where the ring had ended up and, and actually called Unsolved Mysteries. I don't know. It's extremely convoluted and I don't understand, but the Not point so, is cares? a lot of the stuff is missing. Yeah, I, I don't care. But there's lots of people that do, I guess. The thing of it is about some of the stuff, I almost wonder, like I know if you care about baseball, if you really care about Babe Ruth's uniform, don't be offended by this, but I almost think <laughs> the fact that some of this stuff is missing makes it more valuable You know what I mean? Like, if this stuff existed in the Baseball Hall of Fame, people could could just go see it. Not many people would care. But the fact that there's this mystery about where it is and the fact that, like, makes people interested in it. It makes people write websites and Reddit threads about where it could be. I don't know. The other comment, I'm guessing this episode was made before Pete Rose was kicked out of the league for gambling. It was. (laughs) So they kept being like, they kept talking about, you know, this collection is legit. Pete Rose showed up. And then Mac was like, yeah, have you checked Pete Rose's house? Like, is that where all this stuff ended up? (laughs) Very shortly after this episode is when he got kicked out. So yeah, this was before that. A lot of people on the internet were like, yeah, that stuff is kind of, you know, basically what you said, like maybe because Pete Rose was at the opening of Dennis Walker's Hall of Fame. So a lot of people are like... Maybe he stole that stuff back. Maybe like he OJ. has some of it. <laughs> maybe he was like, actually, I want that diamond ring. That's mine. Right. And then he took it. Or maybe he's selling... He, like, he himself had it and then sold it so he could get more money. For, I don't know. Or maybe that it one seems was fake. fishy. And I'm I, just making shit up now. Sports, sports, sports. <laughs> fraud. Pete Rose. That's all I had for that one. I yeah, really I, had well, no energy to go any further. Don't care. Check out... Uh, Hall of Shame, if you're interested in this, because I think you'll probably find that website interesting. I didn't, but I don't care about sports, so. Go find stuff out, and then don't report back to us, and <laughs> don't tell us what you find, because we won't understand what you're saying, and we really don't care. This, I remembered <laughs> that there was a sportsy segment in this one, and I was like, oh no, it wasn't as bad as I thought, because it was a little bit more about fraud. The fraud was interesting. Yeah, I'll give it that. It's more about him being a con man and a Ponzi scheme, so it's, not that that's the most interesting kind of case, but anything is more interesting than sports. Yeah, I was interested in the fraud. I was not interested. I felt bad for that woman who worked for him and was clearly like super duped out of her money. Yeah, all of his employees. I've watched several of these Ponzi scheme segments and we'll cover them in the future in Unsolved Mysteries. All of their employees always invest. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. 
But I guess you trust them, so you think that they'll be you feel like they'll you go know they'll them. be good on their word and they'll you'll get your twenty five percent interest. I sort of felt like from Robert Stack's narration that he was very interested in this case. And he seemed very impressed by P. Rose. Oh yeah, there was a shot of Robert Stack in like a dugout. Yeah, you know, like walking. He seems a little into he it. Held, he holds up a number three Yankees uniform. He's like, sadly, this is not Babe Ruth's uniform. Because if it was, I would try it on and run around this field. <laughs> I think it's time to rate this episode. Yes, I do. After all of our goddamn research, for all of our work, which <laughs> I know our five listeners appreciated so much, let's rate this one. First category is mysteriousness. These mm. were fucking mysterious. Yeah. All three of them. Thumbs Even up for the mysterious. Sports one. Because we still don't know what happened. No. Where is all that stuff? Who took it? Did that guy kill himself? Probably. Yeah, was he, was he murdered? Who knows? D.B. Cooper, very mysterious. The Boys on the Tracks, very mysterious. Thumbs way up. Even though there's only three mysteries, which I'm glad there weren't any more because we couldn't do any more research. <sighs> no. Thumbs way up for mysteriousness. Yep, reenactments. The reenactments were okay in this one. They, they were okay. There were a lot of funny. The plane one where there was like a half empty plane was pretty funny. The guy crawling to a creek and then immediately dying. Amused me a lot, but for the most part, they they don't really stand out. Yeah, it was pretty. A lot of the what they showed in the last segment was actual sports footage, so no, 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 no. that wasn't a reenactment. So I'm a thumb sideways, sideways on the reenactment. Sideways. Fashion did not stand out a lot. No. The woman who got duped out of her money at the end she had, had some, some nice glasses, really humongous glasses, the biggest glasses that have ever been made, I think. Yeah, but they sort of really worked for her face. I don't know. She was rocking it. Yeah. Otherwise, everyone else was just very normal, I think. Not a lot of 80s fashion. No. I guess that's a thumbs down for me. It's unremarkable. Thumbs down. Also, so there was only one mustache that stood out to me. I don't know if you, the new prosecuting attorney in your case. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Richard Garrett, he had a standout mustache. He has a kind of walrus <laughs> mustache. Does that's that mean? exactly how I would describe it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's if mustaches are ever described as in a walrus cut. <laughs> that's They are now. They are now. Where he's like, he went into a barber and he went, give me the walrus. That's, <laughs> again, what do men do? I don't know. That's, I assume they go, into, assume they go they into barbers and they say stuff like that. It was, it covered almost his entire top lip. Like, yeah. it was an impressive it's mustache. It's a serious mustache. I think he wins hands, hands down. down. Yeah, Richard Not Garrett. a dirt bag. He seemed dedicated to the case and he yeah. was willing to admit that, no, they did not smoke. 20 marijuana 20 cigarettes. Mar- which is how Mar- he kept describing Mary that. Joanna cigarettes. <laughs> Uh, yes. So he gets MVM for sure. MVM. Our last category to rate is Robert Stack's outfits, which also unremarkable. I feel like his outfits don't get more like fashiony for the time until we get a little later, later on in the I series. Because right now all he's remember. wearing is suits. Yeah, they're boring, and they're boring suits. It's becoming the same thing every week. I'm a thumbs down. Yeah, on Robert Stack's not outfit. impressive. How do you rate this episode, Liz? I'm, I'm pretty oh boy. high. I think I'm like a four and a half, Robert Stacks. Oh, really? I really liked it. I like the boys. The boys on the tracks it fascinate me. I really, I remember watching this one and really finding it captivating. I think the D.B. Cooper mystery was interesting. Even though I don't like sports, I was kind of into it. So <laughs> I'm a four and a half, Robert Stacks. I feel like I'm going to mark it down more for the sports. <laughs> okay. Than you. That's fair. I might give it a three. Okay. I feel like the Boys on the Tracks mystery is really interesting, but almost they didn't cover enough of it. That's true. You do have to kind of separate what how they it's, covered it versus It's hard to know else. now. But I think I'm going to give it three Robert Stacks. So okay. you can, 
Listeners, you can average it out. It's a, it's a, it's a solid episode, though. I like it. It's I, a decent one. I would recommend this one for sure. Yeah. Do you have a recommendation for our listeners this week? I do. Let's hear it. My recommendation is Find a Grave. Oh, I'm intrigued. <laughs> so Find a Grave I've used for many years is a website where you can find out where people are buried. Who are you looking for? Now, some people <laughs> do genealogy. Okay. And so they're okay. trying to find out where various family members are buried. Gotcha. I'm never doing that. I am occasionally looking for uh, famous people. Oh. Have you ever visited any famous people's graves? No, I haven't. I could only think of two that I've been to. I went to Howard Hughes's grave. Okay. In we Houston. learned last episode how fascinated you were with Howard Hughes. I am kind of into Howard Hughes. Uh, I realized he was a terrible, horrible person. I just sort of wanted to see what his, you know, grave situation was like. <laughs> As like you do. Yeah. Like, you know, he was a crazy rich person. Did he have a crazy rich person grave? And it turns out it's like kind of fenced off. His family saw me coming. You can't really. <laughs> he has like a big mausoleum-ish area, but you can't really get to his actual grave. Okay. And then the other person that I went to see was Vampira. The late night television hostess who nice. was way ahead of her time. She's buried in Hollywood Forever Cemetery, okay. which is one of my favorite places on earth. So beautiful. But the reason I bring up Find a Grave is I recently found out that there's a free phone app. You can get oh. the, the Find a Grave phone app, and you can use that a few different ways. So you could, you know, want to look up where. Your family member is buried or someone you used to know is buried or a famous person is buried. But also, the aspect of it that I thought was worth recommending is if you are traveling, it has sort of a maps feature. So oh. you can find cemeteries. <laughs> so Make a quick stop off on yes. your vacation. Your family's in the backseat yes. like, oh, mom's and looking at graves again. <laughs> that's exactly why I'm recommending it. <laughs> I feel like in the past few years, I've just sort of admitted, like, yeah, I want to visit cemeteries. <laughs> and I think I always did, and I'm just embracing it more as I get older. There are cool places to visit. There we went are... on a cemetery tour in Minneapolis that I loved. I want to go back next year. Yeah, we went to the Pioneers and Soldiers Memorial Cemetery in South Minneapolis. It's on Lake Street. If you're it in is the a... area, schedule a tour. They're free. We they're... donated a little money to the restoration fund, yeah. but... People aren't buried there anymore. It's just historic, and mm -hmm. it's really interesting. There's some very wild stories. She, we, we, she tailored a murder and mayhem tour for us, which was very of sweet. Of course she did. Yeah, well, there's even more we could say about that, but that's like a whole other... That's a whole other recommendation. That's a whole other recommendation. So I feel like if you're on a trip, if you're somewhere anyway, you can pull up your free Find a Grave app and say, oh, what cemeteries are in the area? It has photos... You can request photos of markers. Say you live on the other side of the country, then your relative is buried. Oh, how nice. You could request that someone go and take a picture of that grave, and then volunteers upload photos to the app. There's a an iPhone version and an Android version. That's a cool recommendation. That's my recommendation for this week. My recommendation is for a podcast. Mm. It's a new podcast, and it's done by some ladies that are also from Minnesota. So they're in our True Crime Facebook group, and they had announced that they had started a podcast. They are the Scary Sisters. Oh, yes. Yes, and their podcast is about scary movies. I don't watch scary movies. Yeah. I will admit this right now. I think the scariest movie I ever saw was, 
I can't even think of one off the top of my head because I don't listen to, I don't watch horror movies. They just, <laughs> I don't like to be scared. It's not my thing, which is weird since I like true crime. It's a different But I've listened to thing. all of the episodes they have released. They have four or five episodes out and they're really entertaining. I haven't watched any of the movies they're talking about, but I still enjoy listening to them. It's three sisters. It's, I will say it's hard to do a podcast. I'm with more than two people. Yeah. Like we have a hard time not talking over each other. I can't even imagine if we had one more person, yeah. how much of a clusterfuck it would sound. And these ladies do a really nice job. They strike a really good balance. They feed off of each other well. They're sisters, so they have really good chemistry. They're funny. I really enjoy it, and I don't enjoy horror movies. So that oh, should tell you. Okay. Yeah, it's really well done. Go support them. Listen to their podcast. Download an episode. I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, they're also from Minnesota. And, and that's another new true podcast. indie podcast. Yeah, I think they're, they do Grass it in like... Roots. It sounded like they were doing it in someone's laundry room the last episode I watched. There so, you go. You know, they're a lot like us. They're new and doing a really good job, I think, the Scary Sisters. That's awesome. Yeah, give them a listen. That's all we have for you this week. I am so go tired. We need to be done. Enter our giveaway. Um, send us recommendations for our Halloween special. We're still looking for something to watch for that. It might be a bonus episode. We don't we don't know, or it might be a regularly scheduled one. Um, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Perhaps It's You. You can send us an email at Perhaps It's You Podcast at yes, gmail.com. And we'll see you in the next episode. Yeah, get out there and solve some mysteries, people. Yeah, do it. Thanks. Bye. Bye.